Hey guys, Maria here. Rachel and I are so excited to share that in our new season, you'll be hearing from our very first sponsors. Woo, woo! We have <laughs> carefully picked brands and products that we know you, our lovely listeners, will love. We're excited because sponsors help us deliver more content and goodness to you all, and you'll be getting some awesome discounts. Okay, can I tell him who it is? Yes. We are so honored to be partnering with NeuroReserve, a company founded by Ed Park, who has also walked this dementia journey with his own dad. And he was inspired to create a daily brain health supplement called Relevate. Relevate includes 17 of the most important nutrients for long-term brain health, derived from the Mediterranean and MIND diets. The NeuroReserve team researched the people who live the longest with the healthiest brains, compared their diet to the average American diet, and created Relevate to fill in the gaps. It's two capsules and one soft gel a day to help have a healthier brain. It's so easy, and Maria and I have been taking ours every day. So join us in our daily routine of taking Relevate. To purchase or learn more, you can go to neuroreserve.com. Enter promo code REMEMBERME and you'll get 15% off. And this applies to all future orders, including subscriptions. Again, that's neuroreserve.com. And don't forget to enter REMEMBERME at checkout. Try it out. Tell us what you think and feel empowered in taking a step towards better brain health. Hi everyone, I'm Rachel and I'm Maria and we're the hosts of Remember Me. This podcast is dedicated to preserving the memories of those diagnosed with dementia. We hope this episode helps you feel more connected, provides a deeper understanding, and allows you to learn to accept the good. Always, always accept the good. This is Remember Me. In today's episode, you'll hear an anonymous account of undergoing genetic testing. We had an amazing listener reach out and ask if she could share her perspective. And we know that this is something that you guys really want to hear about. But if this is your first intro into anything having to do with genetics and FTD, we highly recommend you go back to season two and listen to our expert chat with Diane Lucente, the genetic counseling manager at Massachusetts General Hospital. She gives an incredible science lesson on everything you really need to know about the basics of genetics so that you can understand a little bit more of this episode. But again, this is an anonymous account from a lovely listener, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Today is a very special interview, our first anonymous interview, and we are going to be digging into the topic that everybody always wants to talk about, and that is the genetic side of FTD and getting genetic testing. So tonight, we're going to start off with our guest just talking a little bit about her family's journey with FTD and her mom's symptoms and kind of how that all came to be. So Welcome and thank you for being a part of the podcast. Yes, we're so happy to have you here. 
Thank you. I'm excited. To, I'm excited to be here, albeit anonymously. I'm just very excited. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about your mom's journey with FTD. What were the initial symptoms that you had seen that made you think, you know, something wasn't quite right? Um, so I want to say that her symptoms started around her age being around 27 or 28. Um, she initially presented with seizures. Um, so when she went to see a neurologist, they told her she had epilepsy, they diagnosed her with a seizure disorder. And at first it was manageable. She was on epilepsy medication and she was still suffering from a lot of seizures, which limited her ability to do a lot of things like drive, continue working. And she ended up moving in with my grandparents after my parents got divorced. And so she was kind of in that like safe space for that. But what started with seizures uh, slowly started to deteriorate in other forms, as I've heard on this podcast too, with a lot of people that have told their stories. So it started with seizures and then we started to notice like spasms. So muscle spasms of her face and her hands. And so then she added another medication to try to control that, but it didn't really do that much. And then I want to say a few years after that, we started to notice behavioral issues. So I was probably in like middle school or high school. She just started to have these excessive mood swings. Um, my mom was a pretty, like, I want to say timid, but just she was just a very like soft spoken person. But as time um, progressed, she started to have these fits of anger and she would get really frustrated with people and she would basically throw a tantrum. And it was just very out of character for her. I have a quick question. Is this, I mean, I know you mentioned that she was su started suffering from seizures at 26 ish. Is that right? Around 27, 28. Yeah. So did you ever know your mom healthy? No. So that is, I think a unique circumstance is that yeah. my mom had me when she was 29. Mm -hmm. So her seizure started, I want to say a year or two before I was born. Wow. So you, you never really got, I mean, you got to know her in a sense, but never who she was before she got sick. Yeah. And I think that was, I mean, it's really perceptive for you to pick up on. I think that was probably one of the hardest parts of it is that of course. I would hear stories from my family about her and just like her spirit, but I never really got to see it in full form. So yeah, she, I mean, she was sick my whole life. That's so hard. That's so, so hard. So your grandparents were really your mother's caregivers and were they the ones to step in and say, okay, this is more than the seizures. This is something else going on more than, you know, the facial spasms and, and take her to the doctor. Or did she notice that something was different with herself? What was that next step of figuring out the next piece of what happened? So unfortunately, it took our family a really long time to really understand what was going on. So after the spasms and the mood swings, I actually remember this moment specifically, but I was finishing up college and my grandparents and my mom and I went on this trip to Spain. Um, and at this point, my mom was still sick and she had developed incontinence. Um, she was unable to like do tasks like showering by herself, but she was still walking, which was still pretty remarkable at that point. But I still remember it like the last day of our trip in Spain, we were walking down this really steep hill and she just froze 
and she just refused to walk. She looked terrified. And from then on, she had movement, like a movement disorder, basically. She couldn't walk with like a normal gait. Um, she constantly had this fear of falling. Um, she would have to hold on to things all the time. And then the final progression of her disease was um, her speech and her communication. So towards, I want to say the last couple of years, she was just completely unable to say anything meaningful. She could probably get out a word or two here, but it was not something that we could understand. So I think after that walking incident, um, my grandparents took her to another neurologist and they said that she had Parkinson's. And at this point, I was old enough to understand that there was something more going on here. So I think my grandparents were so personally wrapped up in it and so involved that they were just focused on the care and not so much the why and the what's happening. So I felt like because of my position and I wasn't a full-time caregiver for my mom that I had that ability. And I actually was really struggling towards the end with her sickness. And a friend of mine said that something that helped him with his mom who had um, early onset Alzheimer's was to just research and just to do as much as he could to figure out more. So that's what I did. I spent a lot of time, I think my grandparents said that the neurologist said, I think said the word FTD once maybe and gave them a brochure, I think at the most. And that was the end of it. So I went off of that. Um, I did a ton of research. I, that was actually partially how I found this podcast. I, I like looked all over the web. I looked at every different kind of disease I could find and FTD seemed the closest to it. But again, like we actually never got an official diagnosis from a doctor. And I think that was a very frustrating part for me because I just wanted an answer as to what was going on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I can was... relate to that. Mm -hmm. You were so young watching your mom just turn into somebody that you didn't know anymore. And that must have been really I mean, how do you fathom that as like a little kid, like my mom is having a seizure and now she's mad. And now like, that's so yeah. much for you. How did you like weed through all that? I think as a kid, particularly the seizures were scary. So mm -hmm. I watched my mom have seizures when I was around like six or seven was when I saw the first seizure. So it was scary. And my, I still know like my grandma to this day will like jump if she hears a, like a thud upstairs. So I think that was particularly difficult. But then as I got older, I think like when you're a teenager, you want certain things from your parents and you need certain things. And um, I actually am also estranged from my dad. So he also has some mental illness issues. So at that age, I was really like struggling to figure out what my relationship was with my parents. And as much as I knew that it wasn't my mom's fault, I think it's hard because she was sick my whole life. So I think it was hard to separate where does the illness end and where does my mom begin? Yes. Um, and that was hard. Um, just like even the circumstances of my parents' divorce and like my mom ended up giving up custody. But like I... I don't know. I think for a while I was angry. I felt like she's my mom. And as a mother, like you fight till the end, you know, and it took me a long time. It took me many years of just, I mean, honestly, therapy and trying to see. My mom. <laughs> yeah, we're big advocates for therapy. Okay, good. <laughs> I am too. I am too. Yeah. So 
I started early. I, my first therapy session with my current therapist, I've been seeing her for nine years and I first saw her when I was 17. So I was definitely like trying to work through it, but yeah, I think I just wanted to understand who my mom was separate of the disease. And I just didn't get that opportunity actually until the very end. I think my perspective has shifted a lot. I definitely view her life and who she was very differently now, but yeah, it was, it was not easy. Well, I don't want to give too much information because you're anonymous, but you look very put together. If this were me, I would probably be in the fetal position somewhere. Oh yeah. You look human, like beyond. I, if I saw you walking down the street, I wouldn't be like, oh, that girl's had, you know, some trauma in her life. Like you look and you speak very well. So Not that it negates the disease, but I think when you encounter trauma like that, it changes your makeup quite a bit. And Mm. it's something to be said that you're able to talk about it. So what's the word? Eloquently. Eloquently, Yeah. And just, and and you're you're so young. You're still so young. Oh, I just want to give you a hug. Don't, don't (laughs) give out too much information. I won't. Well, we know how you came to understand that your mom ultimately had FTD, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about the brain donation and, and what happened there? Yeah. So as I think a lot of listeners understand at the end, my mom started getting pneumonia and that was ultimately like what ended her, like what got her up in the hospital, but she was able to come home, I think luckily, and we were able to spend that last week with her, which was definitely something I appreciate. But going along with that, in that last week, we were trying to make arrangements and, and just figure out what we were (laughs) going to do from here. Because I, I think I just kind of understood that after everything happened, I would just be, none of us would be able to think about those things. And for me, particularly, like, again, I give my grandparents so much credit for taking the charge and the caregiving, but I think for me, information was so important. Um, so once again, like for me, it was important to get that final diagnosis. And so I still remember, I think it was, it was the definitely, it was the last week, um, I talked to my grandparents and we decided that brain donation would be a good choice. And that's what we wanted to do. And honestly, like in the spirit of my mom, I think it's what she would have wanted to. So we, basically set it up with the Mayo Clinic. So my mom had been to the Mayo Clinic which in Jacksonville, which I also think is interesting because they were also unable to make a diagnosis. All they gave us was compared to her MRIs from years ago, she had global atrophy of the brain. So there was no, again, no name to the disorder. And I think that was once again, very frustrating for me. Isn't the Mayo Clinic like world renowned? Yeah. So that's why I, hmm. I wanted my grandparents to go. And I think I was hoping it would have a positive impact because for my grandparents, I think, especially from the standpoint of watching your child go through this, it's easier to know less yes. <laughs> and just, and just care, you know? And I think that's the standpoint they came from. So I think they looked a little bit negatively on me trying to force them to go to these doctors and get more information. And, but yeah, it was a little bit disappointing to not have any new information. So just Um, to clarify from her symptoms and actually seeing her in person, they could not diagnose her with FTD, but it wasn't until later that they could confirm that with the autopsy. 
Is that what you're saying? Yes. So basically what they said was that they were unable to make like a conclusive diagnosis of a disease. And I don't know, I don't know if it was just because maybe they didn't have enough scans or enough records from the past to be able to understand the progression, but we gave them like a, like basically told them all the symptoms, but yeah, they were basically, yes, that's, they were unable to make a conclusive diagnosis beyond the fact that her brain had atrophied significantly. And then So we decided to use the Mayo Clinic again because they took brain donation and they were in Florida, which is where my grandparents were living and my mom was at the time. So I called them and they were very supportive. They gave me this whole checklist of things that I needed to do, which I mean, I not didn't want to do those things like at the last week, you know, my mom was around and but I think it was ultimately the right thing to do. And I ended up contacting like a specialist who could do the retrieval. So I set that up and then set up the delivery and um, had to get like the funeral home to sign all these forms. So it was just like a long, not a long process, but it was. um, There's a lot of steps. There's a lot involved. Yeah. It's tedious and it's exhausting. I think when you're already tired, but yeah, so that was how we set up the brain donation. And then basically the day that my mom passed away, I just called the the person who was supposed to do the retrieval. And he was also really great. His mom passed away from, I think, Alzheimer's. So that was why he got into doing this. And, and he was, he like showed up within a day and did the retrieval before, before even the funeral. And then, yeah. And then they send it to the Mayo Clinic and it took, I want to say two and a half, two months, two and a half months to get the results. So basically the results of the brain donation. Um, It wasn't like a straight FTD diagnosis. My mom had a more of a genetic brain disease, but the gene that was involved is one that leads to FTD. So basically what they decide determined based on the brain biopsy was that she definitely had this genetic disease. But then on top of that, there were some signs of like an Alzheimer's dementia development in her brain. And then I did more research into the gene and they were able to confirm this later. Um, But that gene does lead to FTD. So it was like a multifaceted diagnosis. Sorry. Which which gene was it? It was gene mutation. It was CTSF is the gene. Okay. And what other information do you feel that you gained from this that gave you some closure? Um, So when I first got the results of the brain biopsy, it was actually the opposite of closure um, because they specifically identified it as in a fully genetic disease. And I like, I still remember, I just like broke down into tears and I cried all day. It's just, I, it just kind of felt like it's like this nightmare is just never ending. And, and I'm an only child. And so like, I just, it just kind of felt like even after all of that and like going through all of these things, it just felt like there still may not be a future anyway. And honestly, it kind of helped me put myself in my mom's shoes for a second and just like understand like, like she didn't even know that, that like that stuff about her disease and still to feel like nothing you do makes a difference. And I don't know, I, I just felt really hopeless that day. And Mm -hmm. So it got worse before it got better, but I think within like an hour of reading the results, I was very certain I wanted to do genetic testing. 
And was that something that the Mayo Clinic had offered to you or suggested, or did you decide that on your own? So um, they had said, if I was interested in doing genetic testing, that I should contact like a genetic counselor, but they didn't offer anything that I could like any sort of resources. So I had to kind of go branch out on my own to find um, a genetic counselor. But quite honestly, I think it's something that I was always aware of in the back of my head. I think most of us are watching a loved one go through like a disease that's like so, you know, horrific and graphic. And I think we all think about it a little bit. And a lot. We think about it a lot. (laughs) Which is why this is like the most requested topic to cover, which again, thank you so much for going through it. Okay. So you you decided to meet with a genetic counselor. What was that process like? So you found somebody and you go sit across from them and say, I want to know my fate. Like, how does it work? Yeah. So maybe it's like a personality. I don't know if it's a personality thing. I mean, not even to get so personal, but like I'm a lawyer. So like my background is just to be very like sit down, take in the situation, analyze it, come out with like an answer, you know? Yep. I'm married to a lawyer. Yep. (laughs) Sounds right. Exactly. (laughs) So my personality, like, so even when I would think about genetic testing, I think a lot of people, like my closest friends that I told about it, their first reaction was, wow, this is like so courageous. And like, it's just amazing. Like it's, I would be so afraid to do something like that. And I'm glad I'm able to offer this perspective because um, I think for me, it was less, it was weirdly less emotional. Like for me, it was almost like knowing would make my life better. Like knowing would make the way I live life and my future and like the control that I have over my destiny better. And I think I just watched my mom go through this disease, like I said, for my whole life. So for 20 25 years, basically. And I just saw her have zero control over everything. For example, like when my parents got divorced and my mom had no control over the custody thing. And then like, she didn't have control over not being able to drive because of her seizures. And she didn't have control over losing her job or losing her movement or her speech or any of the things that made her who she was, you know? And, and I think that was hard to watch. It was hard to watch somebody have no ability to like fight for the future that they wanted. And I think my ultimate conclusion from that was that I just didn't want to live that way. And, and I felt like regardless of what the outcome was of the genetic testing, it would be my choice at the end of the day. And that, and it it sounds kind of like dark and like kind of crazy, but (laughs) it makes sense. You wanted to have some control over, I mean, honestly, a life that had been out of control from the beginning. And I think it sounds to me from everything you're saying that like, you feel like knowledge is power. You've been looking for the answers. You've been trying to find all the information. So it makes a lot of sense. Now, when you went to the genetic counselor, were you able to be like, I'm 100% in, let's do this now. And they were like, whoa, whoa, we got to wait. Or how, how did it all work? Yeah. So I mean, it started with a Google search. <laughs> I Googled genetic counselors in New York City and just I hope I was hoping like because it's New York, like I would find someone. I tried to find one genetic counselor. I made an appointment and the first appointment they had was like two months out or something. 
And I was at wit's end already. So I was like, no way, <laughs> not waiting two months. I found this genetic service. It's called Invite. And it's basically like this online genetic testing. Everything is done online. And I looked up the specific variant of the disease that my mom had, and they had the genetic panel testing for that. So sorry, just to clarify, because I feel like people are going to like be taking notes on this. So when you say the variant, do you mean the genetic mutation that she had? So the disease my mom has, like the actual name of it is, I think it's called neuronal steroid lipofusionosis. Um, So it's this really rare brain disease. And I guess the gene that's involved in that is the same gene that's involved in FTD. And so in like the umbrella of FTD disorders, this can be, this can fall under that umbrella. So that specific variant that my mom had, which was an adult onset variant. So the children's, there's a children's variant and there's an adult onset. Oh, we didn't even know this. There's 13 different genes that can cause this specific disease. The CTSF gene is the one that happened to cause my mom's disease. And that is like a gene that is linked to FTD. So that's like the background of, of the, the genetics of it. But at the time that I was looking for a genetic counselor, I didn't know it was the CTSF gene. So the Mayo Clinic hadn't finished their biopsy. So they said they would supplement the information. So at the time I needed to just find a general panel. And that basically means testing all 13 genes to see if there's like a mutation on any of them. Wow. So- <laughs> just imagining, I mean- you're like in your 20s, you're a lawyer and you're like this is like your your side project is like trying to find a genetic counselor that can do a panel of 13 different. Wow. Okay, I'm just in awe. Okay, keep going. Please tell us more. Before I even found this Invite website, I had looked at places in Florida, I looked at places in like all over the country and the children's variant is more common. So there's a lot of children's hospitals that do testing of the child variant, but the adult onset variant was so rare that there were like literally no studies in the world on this like specific variant. So that made it more challenging to find a genetic test. So when I found this like online testing, they had had like a partnership with a genetic lab that had genetic counselors. So I made a virtual appointment within a week So that eased my conscience. It just made me feel a lot better knowing that I had this to look forward to. So I set up the appointment and basically it was a virtual appointment just like this. It was over Zoom. And the woman was really, really sweet. She was very knowledgeable. She did all of her research on this disease before speaking to me, which I really appreciated. And then she just went through basically my family history. So she asked me about my mom's progression of her disease and asked me about like my other family members, if they were affected by anything, basically, I guess more like scientific stuff about it. But in this adult onset, there's a dominant form of the disease and a recessive form of the disease. So the recessive form would be better for me because then my dad would have had to have it in order for me to have it. But if it was dominant, then it it would cause problems for me. So at the time it was unknown as to which it was. And I remember talking to this genetic counselor and she was saying, you know, if your grandparents, if either one of them had some sort of FTD or they had any sort of dementia, 
it would make it more likely that this was a dominant form of the disease. So that made me feel a little bit better because my grandparents didn't have any signs of dementia. And she said, based on my family history, my family's from India and they were all like arranged married back in the day. And, you know, families, family lines mix at times, unfortunately. And so based on that, this genetic counselor said, most likely I'm just a carrier um, based on like what she had heard. But of course there was no guarantee. Like she, that was just initial. Are you like breathing during this interview? Because even <laughs> when you're talking, I'm like, what is the answer? Like, yeah. I don't know how, like, oh my gosh, I have just sweat. I'm sweating thinking about this. How did you maintain your anxiety through all of this? I know everybody's different. So for me, I'm just, I'm not cut out for something like that. I try to act like maybe one day. No. What was it like hearing all of this stuff? Um, Were you you scared? Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think at the end of the day, I was always scared. As soon as I read those initial results of my mom's brain biopsy, I was terrified. And I think that's where all of it stemmed from. I think my desire for knowledge usually stems from some sort of fear. And like I said, I think when people go through this, basically like dealing with somebody who's been sick and it's long and it just sucks everything out of you. I think at the end, you're so sad and you're so, you're so in grief, but at the same time, there's hope for a future, right? Like you now have the chance to heal and figure out what you're going to do next. And I think that's what I felt had stopped. I think I felt like there was no future, you know? And and like you said, like I was only, when I found out it was only like 25. So, and I'd like, I just, my first year as a lawyer, like I was just, there was like a whole life that I wanted to live. And I was already angry. I think as most of us are in this situation, I was already angry about my mom's illness. And then I was even more angry because I felt like I was being cheated out of life and it was scary. It really was. And okay. Because we don't know that. Do you know, do you know the results of it? Yeah. 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 We know the results. Okay. Okay. (laughs) We're going to get (laughs) you. I'm like legit, like my stomach hurts. Okay. So you're doing this with this genetic counselor and they're like, you know, your life is, what were you prepared for? Like, that's my whole thing. And I know that's probably our listeners scariest moment. Like if you are a carrier, maybe I should go listen to the genetic episode. Cause I'm going to blow what I'm going to say. If you get this disease, they'll be able to tell you right here on zoom. Yeah. Like that to me, I mean, like, did you have a plan? Like, okay, if this is what it's going to be, I am going to quit my job as a lawyer. I'm going to move to India. Uh, You know, were you preparing yourself for that? Or does the genetic counselor work with you to kind of, I don't know, prepare your mind for whatever result you're going to get? So I think that depends on the person that's getting the testing. So I can't, I like just how I'm talking now, like I just came in like guns blazing, like this is what I want. This is what I want to know. Like, these are the facts. So I think for her, I I don't think she was worried about how I was feeling as much, but she was very understanding and she opened it up to so many questions. And I asked a million questions because I wanted to cover every base. But as far as like, yes, I was prepared for the worst basically. And I think that's probably 
for me, I think was the most important part of the process. And I think what holds people back or is a big concern with genetic testing is what if you find out the worst? And for me, I, I think I just kept thinking about my mom and I just kept thinking nothing could be worse than what she went through. And to this day, I fully believe that. And like I said, like I watched it for 25 years and I just couldn't imagine anything worse in this world. And so for me, it was, if I find out that I have this diagnosis and I end up following the same progression that my mom did, I felt that I would rather 30 years or 35 years of like a really great, wonderful, like fully lived life. And then just honestly go out on my own terms was kind of how I saw it was that I wanted to be able to make that decision in the way that my mom couldn't. And like, even as a lawyer, like I know about like living wills and those are options to me that my mom didn't have. And I know, I know what I'm able or what I want out of life. And I didn't want what happened to my mom. And so that's kind of how I felt about it was that it was important for me to go on my own terms. And knowing that, like knowing that I could have a fully lived life and not have to suffer the way my mom did was better. <laughs> like, I just thought it was better than not knowing. And empowering, it sounds really like to you to know, yeah, to know what's coming so you could prepare and have a little more control. I mean, have some control over it. Whereas like you were saying, your mom had none and be empowered to make some decisions for your future and, and kind of dictate how it would go. Now question for you on the genetic counselor and going back and forth and asking her questions. Did you ask her, you know, if I am a carrier for this mutation, that's how they phrased it. Right. Was like, you would be a carrier of the, the CTSF. (laughs) You would be the carrier for the CTSF gene mutation. That meant that you would develop the disease at some point in your life. Is that how it's explained or? So basically it depended on a couple of things. So like I said, there was a dominant gene mutation and then there's a recessive one. Um, So for the dominant, if I was a carrier, then yes, that would increase my chances of getting that disease. If it was a recessive gene, which the CTSF gene is a recessive gene, it would, if I'm a carrier, I wouldn't get the disease in my lifetime. So the only issue that that would raise is that if I had children, whoever my partner is would have to get tested for that gene to make sure that they didn't also have that variant. Because what the counselor basically said is most likely each of my grandparents had one recessive gene mutation. So they were both carriers and there was a 25% chance that my mom would get it, would get one from each. And she happened to get that. And she has a brother and he's like completely unaffected. Wow. I guess I should have paid attention in science class because I still don't really get it. I'm going to put a disclaimer at the top of this episode that people need to go back and listen to Diane, the genetic counselor from MGH prior to listening to this episode, because it's a good refresher, because I think a lot of times, this is why we're very delicate about talking about genetics. It's very easy as we are not scientists to 
say things in a certain way that can be very alarming to people and aren't exactly accurate. So for example, a lot of people like to say, oh, do you have the gene? And I might've even said that within this episode, do you have the gene? But it's not, do you have the gene? It's, do you have the gene mutation, right? I guess, so the way to look, like I think of it is that every every person has two alleles or like two, two, but yeah, basically like I would look at, they look like fingers, like two fingers for each gene. And so one could be affected or both can be affected. And depending on the kind of disease, if it's a recessive disease, you would need both of them to be affected. So it's kind of like, it's literally just like, like for example, red hair is recessive. So if you only have one red hair allele, you can't have red hair. You have to have two alleles with red hair. So basically what she was telling me is that my grandpa in his two genes on the CTSF or his two alleles on the CTSF gene, one of them was mutated. The other one was perfectly normal, which is why he didn't have the disease. And then he passed down the mutated one. Passed down the one. Ooh, the hamster exactly. works. Okay. <laughs> and the same thing with my grandma. And so that's why, because if you have two people and each of them of their four alleles have two, one of one each of a mutated allele, the chances of my mom getting it were 25%. Because she had 50 just, from one. And that's just with this specific one. We're just talking about this specific gene. CTSF. Yes. So the CTSF gene is a recessive gene. So when I first had this counseling appointment, I was unaware of it being the CTSF gene. So I didn't know if it was dominant or recessive. Right. So in that case, if I was just a carrier and it was a dominant disease, then I would be affected. Okay. We got to get, we got, we got to get to the results. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm like, ah, full sweat. Thank God my water's here. Okay. Okay. All right. After the genetic counselor appointment, I'm sure they asked you like, are you a million times sure you want to do this? Yada, yada, yada. What were the next steps? So actually I do want to comment on that. I think based on the disease, like the genetic counselor was almost adamant that like, she thought this was best for me. Um, She thought that it was important that I get tested because of the genetic nature of my mom's disease. I think that varies based on the specific type of FTD or the specific type of disease. But in my case, I think she agreed with my choice. But I think if you went in a little more hesitant, I don't think she would be throwing it in your face and saying like, oh, I should do this. I think she just kind of played off of my attitude about it. So can you explain to us what the testing actually entailed? Yes. So the genetic counselor, once they talk to you about their family history, they'll make a determination of whether you are a good candidate for genetic testing. And then they will pass that on to a geneticist. So the counselor is not necessarily a doctor, but they pass it on to a doctor. And then that geneticist will approve or deny that determination. And then once that happens, they will send you the tests in the mail. So she made the determination, the doctor agreed, and they sent me this like little box in the mail. And basically it was these two tubes and they had like some sort of preservation liquid in them. And then it came with like just basically a giant Q-tip. So it was a buccal swab, which is basically just saliva. So you just unscrew the cap, take out the Q-tip, and then you just rub the side of your, the inside of your cheek like 10 times and you do it on both sides of your mouth. And then you put it into the liquid 
and you screw it tight and then you do this twice. So there's two tubes and then you put that inside of like a like hazard bag or whatever. And then you put that inside of a box and then you send that out. So you send it back to them and then they do the testing within, I think they said like two to three weeks. So as you can imagine, the next two to three weeks were really stressful. Did you sleep? My gosh. Did you have dreams about it all the time? Um, I'm like the heaviest sleeper in the world. So even if I did dream about it, I'd have no recollection. Okay. (laughs) Um, But I was nervous and I'm lucky enough to have like a lot of supportive friends. So they were checking in constantly, like, did you find out the results yet? So it was tough. I mean, luckily, like, as you know, with your husband, like being a lawyer kept me busy. So I didn't have a ton of time. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't have a lot of time to think about it, but yeah, then eventually it was honestly do, I will say the finding out the results part was a little stressful because they send you an email saying that the genetic lab has finished the testing and they've sent it to your genetic counselor for review. They won't like release the results to you. And they said, oh, you'll get it within two to like one, two business days. So I was like, okay, well they sent this to me on a Friday. So I was like, oh yeah, I got to survive the weekend and then (laughs) survive Monday through Tuesday. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So after like sweating basically through the whole weekend, um, it was like Tuesday. I was like, okay, well it's two business days. Where are these people? So Wednesday morning, I emailed them and I, I was like, what's going on? I spent over two business days. I need to know. And they, and they said, oh, well, your genetic counselor has the results. Um, I'll email her so she can release them to you. So I had made an appointment with the, you don't need to make a second appointment, but I felt like she was so nice the first time around and it would just be nice to talk about it. So I made an appointment for Friday thinking like, oh, I'll get the results by Tuesday and like, and like you know, process and then show up. I think she thought she was just going to hold on to the results until Friday and tell me then. And then like, I had to send like a series of emails to get her to release it to me. Oh my God. And it was just really like, yeah, it was a lot. So then she released the results and I eventually got them. Um, and then like, I, so they put the results like as like a header on the page. Like Wait, Rachel one, like, is like a baby, like <laughs> chewing on her nails. I'm like in not the corner. Okay. And every time you're like, okay, so the results, I'm like, uh-huh, yes, yes. <laughs> and you're like, actually, my genetic counselor, I'm like, oh my God, this is why I couldn't do it. I can't even sit here with you. Like, oh my gosh. Okay, sorry, continue. Okay. So- yeah, so basically they put it on the header, but because I was so like frantically looking for these results, I somehow was just blind and just did not even see what it was. So I was like looking at like all this sciencey stuff and all these letters. I was like, what does this mean? I don't know what the results are. And eventually I opened my eyes and just saw it on the, like at the top, at the top of the page. And it said that I was a carrier, which is good news because it was a recessive d- gene. And so as a carrier, I won't be affected <sighs> by the disease. Okay. Deep breath. <laughs> My gosh, Maria, you're not sweating. I'm like uncomfortable. I'm still processing because I'm confused by being a carrier because I'm not good at science. (laughs) Yeah. So for the recessive gene as a carrier, there is almost no chance that I will be affected by the disease in my lifetime. That is the, that's a gift. That is a gift. Yeah. And did, and, and okay. Tell us everything. How, how did you feel? Was, were there like mixed feelings? Like, did it take you back to your mom and thinking of her? Like, tell us everything. 
Um, so yeah, I obviously was, my immediate reaction was super happy. I called my grandma immediately and told her what happened. And I think it was hard for her when I initially told her my mom's diagnosis, because to her, she was just like, no, this can't be happening again. Like this is, it's not like this can't be. So I was really happy. I definitely cried. It was a very emotional experience, but it's actually interesting that you say, um, like, did I think about my mom? Because I was text one of my best friends um, who's like a little brother to me, basically, as an only child, you have a lot of siblings and your friends, um, <laughs> but he's like a little brother. And so he texted me. He was like, this is like, this is good. Like the universe was on your side today. Like this is a win. And and of course, like this year has obviously been very difficult. And I wanted to be on that level. Like I wanted to be where he was, where it was like, this is great. This is a win. Like, let's relish in it. Let's feel really great about it. And I did, I fully had that emotion, but at the same time, I don't want to say it was guilt, but I felt just really sad. Like I felt really sad that this had ever happened to my mom and that it was a 25% chance. And, you know, my uncle, like her brother is fine and he's living a great life and, and I'm fine and I'm going to live this full life. And it was, it, it was mixed emotions. It was like on one hand, like I wanted to live this full great life and like live the way that she would have wanted to and not like lived her life, but like lived it because she couldn't. And then on the other hand, it was just like, like, why did this have to happen? You know, like, why didn't she get to be so lucky? You know, so it's triggering. I think anytime it's, it's like, you know, you got the brain donation autopsy report. It it triggers all the emotions back to that time of her being sick. And it's all a part of this journey and it's all triggering. I understand that emotion of things just being triggered. And then you go back all the way through the process of like, why did this even happen in the first place? You know? Yeah. So you got the news that you're a recessive carrier. Do you think the determination has changed the way that you live your life? Um, so I think the way that I at least wanted to live my life was a big reason as to why I did the genetic testing. I actually, just like as a fun aside, so I, I have a tattoo of a quote from Lord of the Rings because <laughs> I'm a nerd. <laughs> um, but the quote is basically all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. And that quote, like it was on my graduation slide. It was, it's just, it's always been like this meaningful, like symbol of how I want to live my life. And that is wholly in part as, as to like watching my mom and just seeing that you don't get, you may not get more than like 20 years or 30 years. And, and that's not in your control all the time, but what is in our control is how we live those 30 years. And so I think that was why I did the genetic testing was because I felt like even if I found out that I was only going to get this limited time, that was okay because it wouldn't shift how I wanted to live my life. And I think that remained the same afterwards too. I think I felt even more sure about that perspective and, and living my life that way and just choosing to live today and just hoping for the best. And if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners who are kind of on the fence about doing genetic testing, ahem, uh, what would you say? Um, 
I think it, it goes back to what Maria was saying about how we're working towards cures and treatments and knowledge and our parents didn't get that, you know, like they didn't get that option of treatment or cure or knowledge. And I felt like I had unearthed a piece of the puzzle and not a lot of people did that, you know, like this disease, I think affected one in like nine and a half million or something. And there isn't even a study out there that like tests this gene and like looks at this gene. So for me, that made me feel like, well, now there's somebody out there that is actually tested for this gene. And then there's a relative that's tested for this gene and that uncovers part of the puzzle. And then the next time that somebody has that gene mutation or discovers that their parent has it, and maybe they weren't as lucky as me, and maybe they got both copies of that gene and they have to look at a life where they're going to be affected with it. They're not alone in that. And they're not the only one who went through with it, I think is one side of it. And the other side is literally what I just said. I think when you know, I think you can choose how to live your life regarding it. And I think it wasn't just about me either. I think it was also about my family and my friends. And like, we all know we had to live through a lot of unknowns and a lot of what comes next and what does this look like? And when does it end, honestly? And I think it was half for me and half for the closure that it would give other people, you know, like to be able to say that, okay, so maybe I only know that I'm going to get 30 years or 35 years, but you know, I'm going to live those years so full and so great with you guys. And I want you to be happy with me through it, you know, and not worried or scared or sad because you don't know what's coming next. Like if I was like my mom at 30 and got a seizure and my friends and family were just like, what, what is this? What happens next? Like, where do we go? Like, are you going to be okay? And, you know, a lot of lives are kind of robbed that way. And I watched my grandparents in that light and I just didn't want that. And so, yeah, I think that would be my big takeaway is that you can, I, I always believe that living life on your own terms is the most meaningful way to live life. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We release new episodes each week on Mondays, so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Remember Me Podcast. You can sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter and read our blog at RememberMeFTD.com. You can support our podcast by spreading the word, leaving an Apple review, or buying us a copy. This podcast is produced by Maria Kent Beers and Rachel Martinez, and the beautiful music you hear is a song called So Damn Lucky by Bailey Kent.